We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. Oregon fans, it has been a wild week and weekend with that crazy 44-41 to win over the Washington State Cougars on the road in Pullman, Martin Stadium. Man, what a game it was. And uh, joining me to break it all down here is my guy, Mark Wang. And uh, man, we got a whole bunch to talk about. We're going to get into our takeaways from the game. But before we do that, want to give a big thank you to you guys for tuning in. For those of you guys that are here uh, in the live stream, you guys can just a reminder, you can catch uh, the podcast on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus is where you can do that. Reminder to like, subscribe, and share the Ducks Dish podcast. It is a tremendous help and we always appreciate all the support. But with all that out of the way, Mark, how the heck are you, man? Great to see you. I'm doing real good. Uh, you know, life's go life's going. Uh, school's about to start back up here at Oregon. Uh, so cannot complain. So cannot complain. Things are uh, things are about to get uh, more interesting around here with all the students back. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy how the you know the quarter system. When I was there for the game uh, against Eastern Washington. Earlier this month, um, it was it was wild that there was it wasn't that much going on. There weren't that many students there, but you know, Oregon football has a funny way uh, of you know attracting the students back maybe a little bit earlier than than they need to. Um, oh yeah. But uh, but dude, let's just kind of break it down and kind of just get into this uh, off the top. What, what were some of your kind of initial takeaways after you know having a chance to watch the game and then? Uh, you know, kind of let things process a little bit here in the last 24 hours. I will have to say my, my prediction was wrong in the fact that I thought Oregon was going to lose, even though they probably should have lost that game at the end, at the end there. Um, but um, I was right about the fact that it was three points and um, 40, 44, 41 Oregon over Washington state. Um, like that was, that was insane. I think, it just really showed that uh, this Oregon offense can step up when it needs when it needs to. That they can drive down the field, get those and get those big cap off those big drives in order to get those touchdowns, which they needed against this Washington State team. Um, yes, emotional roller coaster indeed. Um, and I mean, you just saw you just saw a lot of how uh, greedy this 
this Oregon offense is, how, quite frankly, still I think of a problem this defense is, or at least the secondary. Um, giving up 41 points is one thing. Giving up because giving up 41 points is one thing. Having it having giving up 41 points and having it be this close of a game is another thing entirely. Um, so there's a lot that we can take from this game. A lot of both good and bad. Yeah, well, let, let's start with the good, right? You know, we don't want to be, you know, negative, but we do want to be critical when it's appropriate. And I think there's definitely some some of those we can get into uh, here in this episode of the pod. But I think that what you said about the offense is a great place to start because Oregon was in a hole in that fourth quarter. And what a fourth quarter it was. Ducks rattled off 29 points in the fourth to come back and win this one in thrilling fashion. But Mark, I I mean, after watching this game, it kind of just made me think a little bit when Oregon was in this, if Oregon was in this situation a year ago, two years ago, heck any time under Mario Cristobal, I I feel like you really didn't find yourself having a lot of confidence when the Oregon offense was going back out there, you know uh, you know, whether it be two minute uh, or, you know, two and a half minute, whatever it is, short amount of time. I don't think as an Oregon fan, you could be tuned into the game and be like, oh yeah, no, like the offense has this, you know, uh, we can just push the ball down the field, you know, get a couple of these, you know, quick outs for 10, 15 yards a pop, manage the clock properly. Um, that's another huge improvement I think that we've seen. Um, but that was kind of one of the big takeaways that I just wanted to get into with, with you mentioning uh, the offense coming up really big and then Obviously, we're going to talk about the defense and, and Mace Funa's game ceiling pick six uh, at the end there. But yeah, I, I just had to give some. We have to give some props um, and you know some kudos to the offense because both sides of the ball really face some adversity. But I think that uh, you know the offense continues week in and week out to prove that they're the strong suit and the strength of this team. Yeah, I mean, um, we heard. Uh, I heard. Coach Lanning in his post-game presser um, say that like the offense carried the defense uh, that day. I never thought I would hear that from a defensive-minded head coach. Um, but, I mean, hey, you never know. It's like we always say, always always something interesting in, in college football. And kind of going off of what you said there, Max, with about the whole offense, uh, maybe, not, maybe not having as much hope in the offense under like, say, Mario. Um, I remember, I remember twice, uh, when Oregon played Wazoo, when I was here, uh, when I was a student, there was the one time in Pullman when it was on game day. And then there was the next year in Otson. uh, the first time Oregon was in a hole and they almost did come back, but then yes, you're right. Mario got cute with the play calling, weren't, wasn't able to take advantage of that. And the second time. Ken, uh, I believe it was, yeah, Kevin Lewis. Kevin Lewis. Kevin Lewis iced it um, on the last play of the game. Not going to lie, I had a heart. I had a minor heart attack during that game and during that moment. But, I mean, this offense, yeah, they absolutely showed what they could do. I think they showed, I think, really, Troy Franklin and Bo Nix showed that they're, and even Bucky Irving, too, they showed they're the catalyst of this offense and that uh, they're really helping to power this engine to go because Troy Franklin has far and away uh, put himself up as the number one option, at least receiving wise for Oregon. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, I mean, just, just to 
shed some light on the the numbers that that Oregon had here in this game. And then I think we definitely need to talk about the offense more specifically. We can get into bow. We can get into the passing game. Uh, but final numbers for Oregon, 624 yards of total offense uh, generated in this one against the Cougs. Um, not terribly efficient on third down, just four for 11 for Oregon. But they did, I think, maybe make up for some of that with some huge, huge fourth down conversions, two for two uh, on fourth down in, in this game. 178 yards on the ground, averaging 5.6 yards per carry. Definitely got to give a shout out to the offensive line again. Um, they just continue to show up. This was one of the better fronts that they faced. I think that they probably entered this matchup having a load of confidence after running the ball on BYU like they did a week ago in Eugene. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we got to get into these numbers for Bo Nix because Bo is is definitely – getting a lot of talk here as uh, as this comment says Bo Nix was the right QB choice hashtag Bo Lever uh, is, is what uh, Apollo 28 says here in the chat I believe he, he uh, likes to stop by the show so good to see you again Apollo so yeah Mark Bo Nix 33 for 44 428 yards three touchdowns and an interception that really came at a pretty bad time but 9.7 yards per pass I mean, this the the pick is obviously going to be what he is criticized for. That's nothing new. I mean, I, right? Like that's like something that Bo Nix has been criticized for since he was at Auburn. But the way that he bounced back from that pick and the way that the offense responded after having kind of a, a pretty iffy first half, I think says a lot about this team and it says a lot about Bo and the growth that he's made even since coming to, to Oregon. I agree. Yeah, um, I remember seeing the highlight, uh, seeing the highlights of that uh, pick, of that pick six plays. Is like throwing interceptions bad. Uh, is yeah, it's bad. Throwing a pick six on the road is even worse. Um, and I I remember watching watching that game and seeing the halftime score, and I was like, if Bo hadn't thrown that pick six and everything else had played out as it was, this would have been a lot close. That that game would have been a lot closer at the end of the first at the end of that first half but then yeah you're right the offense the offense showed up and i remember very first drive of the second half orton comes out gets the ball drives it down the field and uh scores and scores a touchdown quick fast and in a hurry just and i think they at that point they pulled it within i think two or something like that for Oregon for oregon and that just showed that this was a team that um is now willing is is really able to take your best take your best hit, come back up and respond. I mean, this was I think the biggest. This was for Oregon, the biggest game since the Georgia since the Georgia game. I think, and that's no disrespect to BYU, but BYU did not play like a number twelve team when they were up in Eugene. They did not. But I think in terms of like games aside from that, yeah, this was the biggest game for Oregon and it was a road and it was a road game and they went to a very tough place to play out on the Palouse and they came up big. Yeah. So just to stay on Bo, because you know, he, he just had a, a crazy performance. I think this was a huge game for him because he responded to adversity, but even more so because it was on the road. I think that that was the history that we've seen from Bo Nix just over his collegiate career has been a totally different quarterback 
uh, at home versus on the road. And, and I talked to, to Andrew Quinn about that when we were doing our Washington State preview podcast last week. And for him to show up the way he did, I think this was one of those games, probably not even the first, but maybe the, the first game where we could really definitively say, aside from the pick six, that looks like, you know, a veteran quarterback, like a, a, a four-year starter. Um, you know, he had some really nice ball placement in this game, which I don't think is something that we've uh, said too much about this season because I don't think Bo has the most impressive arm. I don't think he's going to blow you away. Like, you know, I think a lot of people probably think, and I would probably agree with them, that Ty Thompson has the strongest arm on this team. But the way that Bo Nix was pushing the ball down the field was awesome. I feel like we're saying that each week, which is why it's so exciting to watch this offense again. Uh, you had the 50-yard touchdown pass to Troy Franklin. Uh, also had a really good connection with uh, Chase Coda this game. Really nice to see him appearing in this one. Dante Thornton had a, a deep pass along the sideline. Um, so Bo in this game, you know, just really made his presence felt. And he only rushed for 30 yards. So I think to see him do so much of the damage with his arm, was it yet another encouraging sign for this Oregon team? Yeah, he looked he looked really really good out there. Um, I'll admit I'd not see the I'd not see the whole game. I was working for the first half. Of, I was working for the first half of it, but um, I mean, from what from all that I saw, like Bo Bo went out and did basically what he what he was brought in to do. You know kind of get another spark going for this team for this team looking to be kind of in a win now mode with a new system with a new head coach who was just off of a of a national championship when he was at Georgia for coach Lanning and just um Bo Nix was able has really I think shown Oregon a lot of or has been for Oregon fans a lot of what they wish that Justin Herbert, they were able to see Justin Herbert do, you know, air the ball out, show off that arm and show off just the talent with this, with this receiving core. And when you're able to do, and when you're able to do that, and you also have a really solid running, a really solid running game, you know, led by uh, Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington, you know, that's a combination that's going to lead to a lot, to a lot of success. Yeah, no, that, that running game has been such a great compliment. Like, Oregon's had a strong running game, obviously, you know, for a really long time, but it, it didn't, it felt like it was being held back a little bit. Like, it, it, it feels like it's going up a notch because they finally have a passing game that can play off of that and that can keep the defenses guessing, that maybe makes it harder to, to stack the box with your defenders in these games because Oregon finally has a quarterback that can hurt you, that can push the ball down the field, and an offensive play caller that is willing to take some risks. And I think that's one thing um, that is definitely warranted some discussion, but I did want to get to this question, uh, last question on Bo before we moved on to talk about some other parts of the offense and definitely the defense, because this is an interesting question from Apollo. How do you guys feel if Bo stayed for another year? I feel like it could cause some transfers, but year two of Knicks and Dillingham and Eugene would be great. This is an interesting question, Mark, because we've reached a point in the season where we have a, a strong enough sample size to ask these types of questions. The Georgia game was Georgia. 
right? I, I, I think that we can all admit that at this point, that that game yeah. said more about Georgia <laughs> being just dominant on another level, reloaded, not rebuilt, continuity, like whatever you want to call it, Georgia has it. But that game said more about Georgia than where Oregon's at now. And I think with Bo having played three really strong games, I don't really think you can say much about Eastern Washington, but he does have two years of eligibility remaining because he played in 19, 20, and 21. So that's three years. And then you knock one of those off for COVID. So this is technically his third of four collegiate years of eligibility. Um, and he, he hurt his ankle last year. So I'm not 100% sure specifically how that factors in. But looking at the talent that Oregon has on the roster, you have Ty Thompson, who I think has all the potential in the world. But for all intents and purposes, he just doesn't look ready yet. I'm not trying to criticize him, but he's someone who it looks like right now isn't going to be able to take that next step he needs to take unless he can play more more games and get more snaps. Um, and then Jay Butterfield, I mean, it just looks like they're favoring Ty over Jay. And then you have Dante Moore coming in in the 23 class. But I don't know. I think that I have been of the mindset that you want to develop a guy. We were talking about it, you know, a homegrown guy, someone you recruit out of the prep ranks and you can have four multiple years um, because I think that's healthier for a program. But because of COVID and the transfer situation that Oregon has found themselves in right now with the quarterback's position specific, specifically, you have the opportunity if Bo does want to stay to have some continuity at quarterback, something that Oregon hasn't had since Justin Herbert was here. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I agree that it's going to cause, it would cause transfers. Um, I think Jay Butterfield would definitely transfer out um, if Bonex decided to say, to stay. And then I think in all honesty, that could have a quarter, that could then have a battle for the number two spot between Dante Moore and Ty Thompson. And then I think if, um Dante Moore were to win that Kai Thompson could potentially transfer out as well so you could potentially lose or have two of the guys transfer out instead of just the one but I do agree with the fact that um have having Bo stay would provide uh continuity for the op continuity for the offense bring all those guys back have another have another year to kind of keep built to keep building on that because I think that that would be amazing, and that would be what Oregon needed. Because you're right, we haven't seen a consistent uh, multi-year starter since Justin Herbert and Justin Hurt, and before that, Mariota. So Oregon go has has a tendency to sometimes go like a bit of a chunk of time, two or so years in between every like major year, like major starter quarterback. So I don't know if that would be. Ty Thompson and then Dante Moore, or if it would just be Dante Moore if Bo Nix were to stay another year. So I don't know. I also agree with you. I don't think that Ty Thompson is fully ready. I think I think what we saw in the Eastern Washington game was a good team beating up on a on a bad on a not great team in Eastern Washington. Because when Ty Thompson got put in in the third quarter against BYU. I believe it was what probably two three and outs at least, and I think an interception too. So when he got put up against that that strong BYU team, he didn't exactly have the best success. So I do think he needs time to be able to develop. 
Yeah, and and I think that you'll find that for most quarterbacks. Like, quarterback is probably the hardest position in all of college football. You could argue to come in and play right away. So, it's it's an interesting um it's an interesting deal with 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 Bo to see if it it's if it makes sense to have him come back another year if he even wants to come back another year because I think I'm assuming when he made this decision. I haven't been told this. I don't have any sources on this, but I'm assuming when he made this decision, it was come to Oregon, have an awesome year, up my draft stock, and then go on to the NFL, take my shot in the NFL. Um, but it's, I feel like this kind of makes creates a new wrinkle in, in the future of this Oregon team because it feels like Oregon's kind of been one quarterback away. Like you could probably group them in that category um, for, for teams because um, – because they haven't had a vertical passing attack. They haven't had an offense that can give them points on the board when they need it in crunch time. So I, I think it's it's a really interesting discussion, and we're going to have to continue following it. So appreciate the uh, question from Apollo there. Um, but just to give some final thoughts on the offense, Mark, I don't want to rush through the show too much, but we are trying to get through this game before our Niners play on Sunday night football against the Denver Broncos. Um, but we got to talk about the running game. Uh, and this offensive line, Oregon is now the only team in all of college football and at the FBS level, at least that hasn't allowed a sack through four games. Um, they just plowed ahead with, uh, with this awesome group of backs and Bucky Irving. It seems like we really do have a solid idea of what the rotation is going to look like. Uh, we, we didn't see Byron Carwell on Saturday. Um, it kind of looked like he was a game time decision for Oregon. He was practicing throughout the week, but, but looked like he, I think he had tweaked his ankle or something. Um, but Bucky Irving looks like that solid number one and dude can run and it's not easy to get that guy down. Uh, he also showed that he can be versatile and contribute in the passing game, had a really big catch that I think someone was talking about in the comments on fourth down that, that Bo just threaded in there. Uh, and then Noah Whittington comes in to spell him. And then Jordan James, the true freshman, uh, that Carlos Lachlan recruited, uh, flipped from Georgia late in the 22 cycle. He scores his first touchdown at the college level as a duck, and he's kind of established himself as this short yardage guy. So third down, fourth down guy. Um, so I, I think that it's just it's awesome to see this Oregon running game continue to do what they do. And uh, Oregon's offensive line is, I think it's sol- solidly in the top five in the country at, at this point. And keep in mind, that's without Stephen Jones. That's with Marcus Harper the second sliding in, and this this group doesn't miss a beat. So hats off to them, uh, and absolutely a huge huge hats off to Adrian Clem uh, and his offensive line staff as we uh, kind of wind down our discussion of the offense in this Washington State game. I agree absolutely. You know when when you have that continuity on the offensive line, even with a few tweaks here and there, when you have those veteran guys who are able to go in who are able to go in and really and bond together i remember justin herbert's last year that was another big thing is that you had a group of guys who had been together for all four who had been together for all four years and really developed and they were touted as as one of the best lines in the country this is the same case i think you have a really solid group of guys who are able to come to who are able to come together really be able to protect your quarterback, open up the holes for the run, for the running game, and really open this and really open up this offense. You know, um, and that's been such an important 
an important part of that. I mean, like the fact that you that they haven't allowed a sack through four games, and you played Georgia for crying out loud. You played Georgia and you didn't allow a sack. You played a a, a decent BYU a decent BYU team didn't allow a sack. You played Washington State in Pullman with a circus score of 44-41 and don't allow a sack. Like that's huge. That's that's huge for for Bonex's confidence. That's huge for the running backs and that's huge for just for the team overall because when you're able to keep the quarterback upright and be able to let the running back get through the holes, that's a recipe for success. Absolutely it is. It is. I, it's funny because you were, you know, you got animated there when you were talking about Georgia and not allowing a sack in that game. That was like one of the few positives you could take from that game at all. And then it's like, oh, hey, let's like fast forward through the rest of the month. And that trend's continued. So I think that, I mean, heck of a, that's a, talk about a test for your, you know, new offensive line coach getting that against Georgia is, is just nuts. But we're going to take a quick break here on the Ducks Dish podcast. For those of you listening to us on the audio platform, don't go anywhere. We're going to be breaking down the Oregon defense against Washington State after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome back to the Ducks Dish Podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres. That's Mark Wang. And we are continuing with our breakdown of Oregon versus Washington State. Now we're going to be flipping to the other side of the ball. We got to be talking about the Oregon defense. Um, just to get into some of the notes that we have from this one, 
season high 11 tackles for loss, the most by an Oregon by Oregon in a game since having 11 against UCLA last season. Season high four sacks, which is also the most that Oregon's had since last year against UCLA. And then held Washington State to just 163 total yards in the first half, an average of six yards a play, and then got two takeaways in this one uh, while you get your second defensive touchdown of the season with Mace Funa's pick six at the end of this one. Um, Mark, I, I think that it was a, a real tough test for, for this Oregon team because we knew going into this game that Cameron Ward was – was a really talented quarterback. I think maybe some people had written him off a little bit because he came from Incarnate Word, put up insane numbers there at the FCS level, but we heard Lanning talk about it. We heard some players like Jordan Riley talk about it. Football is football, man. So they did not take this matchup lightly, and it's a good thing that they didn't because he had quite the day, 37 for 48 with 375 yards and two touchdowns, but he threw two interceptions, and they got him down on the ground for four sacks in this one. So I think that that's probably one of the biggest takeaways positively from this game for Oregon from a defensive standpoint is that you're finally able to get some pressure on the quarterback. And it looks like, you know, at least from the box score, that it really started with DJ Johnson, who got two sacks in this one. So love love to see some, some improved effort and, you know, improved results ultimately from this front seven. If you ever ha- had a game where you wanted to have your uh, your off your your defensive line step up and start hitting and start hitting the quarterback, this was the time. Uh, that was huge for or- that was huge for Oregon. We only get the QB down on the gr- down on the ground, make his life make his life more difficult and say like, "Hey, you got to earn. You're gonna have to earn everything you get to you get today." And then, yeah, the secondary secondary we can talk about a little bit later. Um, because that's a whole nother dusk, uh, discussion topic. But I mean, DJ, DJ Johnson uh, getting those two big those two big hits. That's that's huge. And then the pick six at the the pick six at the end of the game, right place, right time, jumped up, able to snag it out, and then run it back to uh, to ice the game. Like I remember seeing, I remember seeing that, or like seeing the the thing that uh, pop up. It's like interception return for touchdown i'm like are you kidding me wow okay because i think yeah they needed that to ice that game because i think if they hadn't gotten that uh wazoo was very capable of marching down the field and either tying that game up or winning the whole or winning the thing outright because they're they're a good team i mean they were a good team and they were feeding off that uh that sellout crowd and and pullman all day yeah, it, it, we already knew going into this game that it was going to be a great atmosphere out at Martin Stadium. So we tried to, we tried to, you know, everyone kind of talked about that, you know, the various Oregon outlets, and then I talked about it on you know my podcast. Um, but another storyline from this one, Noah Sewell probably had his best statistical game of the year. Um, you know, we are we all know how special Noah is, but it felt like he just hadn't been making as big of an impact as we maybe expected early on in the season through the previous three games, but. Nine total tackles in this game. He had one of the four sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. And then we also saw Justin Flo uh, in this game. Didn't play against BYU, but he uh, was able to come back in this one. Seven total tackles for Flo and a tackle for loss. So 
seems like we're seeing some more of that, uh, you know, that one-two punch, that dynamic duo at linebacker starting to make more of a, more of an impact now. Um, but before we talk about the secondary, because I think we'll talk about that, um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the last big positive that we wanted to have that I wanted to spotlight, at least in this game. 25 carries for Washington State for 53 rushing yards. This Oregon defense, this Oregon rush defense, run defense, is legit. It's absolutely legit. And, and that starts at the point of attack. So we got to give some props to Tony Tuioti. Those pieces that he brought in through the transfer portal, notably Jordan Riley and Casey Rogers coming over from Nebraska, but also Brandon Dorless, Keon Ware Hudson, um, guys like that. They, they've really made it, made it a point to attack the line of scrimmage. They've done a great job uh, doing you know some of their stunts and, and noting their assignments. So it really feels like, I, not counting special teams, it kind of feels like Oregon's like three-fourths of the way there, if that makes sense. You know, they can run the ball, they can pass the ball, they can defend the run, but you're still missing the pass defense for sure. Um, so I think that kind of is a good segue to Mike's comment here. Cause I know you've been talking about this. Mike says this defense has three problems, no speed on the edge, spotty rush and a questionable secondary. I don't know if I agree with all of these, but I know the point that you and I kind of wanted to get into is the, the questionable secondary because there's talent there, but it just, it, it hasn't been playing to the level that it needs to. And, and landing kind of landing wasn't specifically talking about the secondary. He was saying overall, you know, this isn't enough for us as a team to kind of get where we want to go. And I think with our conversation on the defense, I think the secondary is probably one of those biggest question marks right now and, and concerns for us. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there, Max. Um, for the, for this comment from, from Mike, I think uh, they've been doing better on a lot of, on a lot of things, being able to defend the, to defend the edges, being able to, uh, to hold, to hold there. The pass rush, I I would agree. Through the first three weeks of the season, it wasn't really much there. However, now I think we may finally be able to start seeing that more. It's a start. It's a start. It's a start. Yeah, it's a start. Not where they want. Yeah, not where they want it to be, but it's a start, which is better than nothing, quite frankly. Um, And then, yeah, the second, the secondary. I think that was the biggest thing. I mean, you saw that Um, Washington State was airing it. Washington State was airing it out. And I think a lot of these other teams that Oregon's going to face later down the line, uh, including uh, UW um, later in the season, later in the season, and most likely Utah as well. Um, both, both games of which will be at Autzen later this year, later this year, but we both know that those are also much later in the season when teams are looking to get a lot, are, will most likely be a lot better. And for this for this Oregon defense, I mean, they they were, I think, in bend, don't break mode. They were there, I think, holding on as long as they can, and they did what they could. They did what they could. Um, I'm not by saying by any means they did great. They did great, but they did what they had to do in order to get to help get this to help get this win. I think in a lot of other cases, the offense and the D line helped bail them out a little bit. But I think they need to they need to be more they need to be more aggressive, not lose guy not lose guys on those deep rushes, which seemed like they were doing a few like what happened a few times uh, during this Washington State game and even in a few of these other games as well. You know, let those deep let those deep balls and big plays 
get behind the uh, get behind the secondary because when that happens, that's when everything starts letting loose. Yeah, and and, and I think for for Oregon, I, I'm going to disagree with the no speed on the edge because I don't think there's no speed, but it's definitely not where it needs to be. I think when we're evaluating the Oregon pass rush, what's something you can take away from this week? I think that DJ Johnson's taking another step in the right direction. And the interior line play is is great on run plays, but it's not where it needs to be on pass plays. So I think that it's a positive to see DJ taking the step in the right direction, but he can't be the only guy. Like we, we saw this last year. Who was the only guy who could be somewhat consistent for Oregon rushing the passer last year? Kayvon Thibodeau. And then who was the who were these guys that were looked to outside of him? It was DJ Johnson, it was Braden Swinson, guys like that. And I think that for Oregon to get where they want to be, for them to ultimately be in the, the position to compete for another Pac-12 title, DJ Johnson can't be the only guy. But I think it's kind of a little bit of a balancing act between the pass rush and the secondary because if one improves, so does the other one. You know, if, if, Oregon's, if Oregon can get more consistent pass rush from multiple guys, that takes pressure off of the defense. And then if Oregon can cover better, then that takes some pressure off the guys rushing the passer. And even though there was another, there were some spotty performances. I think there were some positives that we have to talk about. Triquez Bridges got an interception who made a heck of a play. Two interceptions now for the lead on the team, I believe, uh, ripping the ball out on, on that play when they were kind of rolling over uh, down to the ground. So even though he's getting picked on in some instances, he's capitalizing on opportunities like that. And then, um, I think Brian Addison continues to be a, a pretty solid piece in rotation. Uh, we're seeing a lot of guys, different guys coming in at safety. We're seeing, you know, Bennett Williams, Jamal Hill, Steve Stevens, Brian Addison. So they're, they're still figuring that piece out in the secondary, but I, I don't know if, if right now how confident we are that the secondary is going to get kind of figured out and things aren't going to get any easier this week, Mark, because Stanford has one of the best wide receiver groups in the Pac-12 and potentially even the country. Um, and, and, you know, they have some big physical athletic guys and that's going to be another huge test for them this week. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, when, uh, when you see when Pac-12 play comes around, um, that's just, that just adds one more level on top of that. Just adds one more level on top of that. You always play harder in those Pac-12 games and, you know, or uh, Oregon went down to the farm last year and gets upset by and got upset by Stanford. So there's by no so this game is by no means a certainty. I mean, granted, their rec. Um, I'm trying to see exactly what their record is this year. What's their record? Yeah, what Stanford's record is this year? Uh, Stanford's record so far. Let me pull this up. One and two. Are they? Yeah, because they had a bye week. I think they're coming off of a bye week. Yeah. No, 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 no. They did have a bye week already. They're okay. they're uh, they're one and two. They beat Colgate. Okay. They lost by thirteen to USC. Had a bye week, and then they lost to Washington on the road. So yeah, last night. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, last night. Yeah. Keep thinking it's Monday. Keep thinking it's Mon- It's Monday, and I should be at Lanning's presser right now. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Not quite. No. But I think for or for Oregon, they're going to need to get after the quarter. They're going to need to get after the quarterback, um, buy some time uh, for that, or buy or just buy some time for that secondary to be able to get 
to be able to get out uh, or and be able to get into coverage um, and just cover the guys well. Because if you're if they're just able to if they're able to cover the guys well, that makes it that makes um, the pass rushers jobs a lot easier and the quarterbacks jobs a lot harder a lot harder but the question is yeah you know do are they able to are they able to do that i don't know because you're right this isn't going to get much this isn't going to get much easier as we go through the season you know later down the season you have you have stanford you have washington you have utah you have Oregon State. You have Oregon State, which is put, who are putting together a pretty darn good season uh, in their own right too. In their own right too. So the whole Pac-12 has been getting better. It's it better. It seems like maybe they're all playing better because they all know they have to because SC and LA are about to leave. But that's a story for another time. <laughs> but um, I mean, Oregon's uh, Oregon's secondary like they have to do like either a flip either a switch has to flip quickly or something's got to happen or something's got to happen otherwise you could see more games like this because i think a lot of the other pac-12 teams are going to see this and be like this is how you beat oregon you you take them to a full-blown shootout yeah it and yeah and that's what happened 44 41 yeah but oregon was able to, to come out on top and they made plays when it matters so as sloppy as a game of a game as it was and, you know, you didn't necessarily see what you wanted to see, certainly from the defense. They were able to come away with some big plays when it mattered most. I wanted to kind of end the show on this point, Mark, because I really like the comment and kind of just the discussion it creates. DJ says, look, I'll be the first one to say it. We're still recruiting the guys we need on this team. There, I said it. So now we can just accept as this, this as a group just gets better. Oh, we can just accept as this group just gets better game in and game out. And, and I think that's accurate. I, I think that's the point that we're getting at is that the secondary isn't at the level that it needs to be the defense, the, the team overall, but particularly on defense, I feel like it's not where it needs to be for the aspirations this program has, but look at what they're doing on the recruiting trail in 2023. They have practically filled out their entire secondary um, with, with, I think they have five total defensive back commits right now. Cole Martin's one that I'm super excited about. They're still going after Roger Pleasant, the cornerback out of Gardena Serra, fastest guy in the state of California. Maybe they can get him. That'd be a huge recruiting win uh, for for Oregon. Um, but then look at the pass rush. They have Blake Purchase. And, you know, from some of the people that I've talked to, they believe that Blake Purchase, the edge rusher out of Colorado, could be a guy who can contribute right away as a true freshman. So the reinforcements are coming. And then you also have Jaden Moore, another big piece of that defensive line off the edge, freak athlete type of guy. So I think I agree with this point. Uh, Oregon's still recruiting the guys that they need, but uh, that's why it makes it fun to follow recruiting because you're seeing the on-field product. We kind of see some of the weaknesses, some of the deficiencies, and then how over here on the recruiting trail, are they working to address those needs? How do the guys that they have and the guy in the fold and the guys that they're looking to get, help them get to the place that they want to be, help them get that dependable too deep and have guys that if someone comes out, there's no drop-off because that's certainly not where they're at right now. Yeah, I think a lot of Oregon fans, and for fans of a, for fans of a program, this isn't always a bad thing to see. It's like you're always so used to seeing a program making those deep runs. In Oregon's case, trying to make Rose Bowls, trying now to make uh, college football playoffs, that, that you think that anything less than that is is a failure for the is a failure 
for the season. And in this case, you have a new coaching staff, you have a new quarterback, you have a younger, t- you have a younger second dairy. Like I think anybody, I think quite frankly, I think anybody who thought that Oregon was going to make a run at the college football playoff may have been kidding themselves just due to the fact that number one, um, this team is in a bit of a redevelopment mode with the new coaching staff. And number two, the Pac-12 doesn't get much respect, uh, really. Like we've only, like the Pac-12 has only had two or no three um, participants in the college football playoff since it started. Oregon, Washington. Oh no, it's just two so far: Oregon and Washington. Um, and then you have potentially now two this year in both Utah and SC. Though I would more likely take SC uh, in that match or between the two of them. But Oregon, I think, yeah, they need to, they need to recruit, you know, recruiting takes time. Um, It'll take a good three years at the minimum, I think for Lanning to really get two to three years, I think at the very minimum for Lanning to really get most of his guys into this program. And then we can be talking about that more, but I think at this point right now, not really. Yeah. So it's a work in progress. And I think that, this kind of contributes to the bigger point, and we don't have to get into this right now because I think we got to get out of here, but it, it's so interesting, the timing of Lanning's hire and everything that's going on, right? Like Mario left this team in a better place than when he got it as head coach. Whether you like Mario Cristobal or not, that is factual. Did he coach the Ducks out of some games? Sure. They could have won some games with some different coaching calls, but – he proved that you can recruit at a super high level across the country. And then when Lanning comes in, Oregon's still in the midst of that championship window. This is Lanning's first head coaching gig. You got NIL. You got transfer portal. Like, There's so much craziness going on in college football, but that's a whole other discussion. Um, Mark, I hate to, to cover, um, you know, I hate to cut this short, but just any final remarks before we get out of here, because I got to catch this Niners game. No, not really any. I want to catch that Niners game too, though I don't have cable. So I'll have to find another way to catch that game. All right. Well, we're going to we're gonna get out of here, you guys. If you want to find more of Mark's work, you can follow him on Twitter at MarkW2016. You can also find his written work on DucksDigest.com. If you want to find more of me, follow me on Twitter at MTorresSports and subscribe to the YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Taurus. It's been awesome seeing the support and seeing this thing grow. And then do us a favor, just take a second and share the Ducks Dish podcast. As you can see with these live chats and the live comments, we got people that show up You know, at every show. They don't miss anything, and it's just so great to see. Um, and, and I love doing this. And, man, do we have a big week with Stanford on tap coming to Eugene for week five. But That'll do it for us here on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Thanks to Mark for hopping on. Thanks to you guys for tuning in. And we will see you guys in the next episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.